What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's Thursday, June 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden has called on Congress to suspend the federal gas tax for three months in an effort to ease prices that have been skyrocketing. Biden is also calling on states to suspend their gas taxes, but it's a tough sell as lawmakers and economists are skeptical it will provide enough relief. He is also pinning the blame on oil and gas companies, calling for them to increase oil production. Hans Nichols, reporter at Axios, joins us for what to know. Next, as fears of a recession loom, more companies are announcing layoffs or hiring freezes, leaving current employees to think of ways to stand out and stay employed. The pendulum is swinging back in favor of employers, where the great resignation had empowered employees to jockey for better pay and benefits. Ray Smith, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to keep your job or find a better one should a recession come. Finally, the real estate market has begun to cool ever since mortgage rates have increased, but home prices are still going up. The spring selling season has been slow and the lack of supply is keeping prices up. Rents are even on the rise. On average, they're up 26% from before the pandemic. Emily Peck, markets correspondent at Axios, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. These are not normal times. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Joining us now is Hans Nichols, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Hans. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about what's going on with gas prices right now. On Wednesday, we saw President Joe Biden call on Congress to suspend federal gasoline and diesel taxes for three months. So, uh, you know, really trying anything that they can to reduce the pain at the pump for a lot of Americans. This action has kind of been met with a little bit of skepticism from people on both sides of the aisle, from economists. But, uh, you know, this could be, if you factor it all in, he's also asking states to suspend their taxes. If you factor it all in, they say maybe you could get up to a dollar in savings. Hans, what are we seeing with all this? I like your hedges. I like the maybe, all the things that could happen. The political point from the White House is they want to get caught trying. And if they get caught trying, this is at least it has like sort of the appearance of trying to do something. Now, you kind of laid it all better out better than I possibly can. Like there's not a serious economist that agrees that if you suspend the the federal gas tax, that that money will drive down the price especially when supplies are as constrained and as tight as they are now. And why do we know that? Because this was a huge issue in 2008. 
when the Republican nominee, John McCain, was calling for a suspension of the gas tax, the gas tax holiday. I covered that campaign. It's seared in my mind. He talked about it every stop. And Barack Obama, the Democratic nominee, made fun of it the entire time, calling it a gimmick. Let me correct myself. Obama wasn't the nominee at the time. I think he was still fighting with Hillary Clinton for the nomination. And Hillary Clinton was for the gas tax suspension and Obama wasn't. But all the serious economists and the Obama people put together letters of like 300 economists saying this is a dumb idea. And I reached out to some of them in this last week because we started getting rumblings that this might happen. And the question went something like, is this still a dumb idea? And they said yes. <laughs> and, you know, even for this to even happen, right, uh, it would take an act of Congress. So where do we stand on that? I mean, as we're, you know, as we're talking about, is it a dumb idea, right? Uh, a lot of people aren't, don't really seem like they're in for it. I mean, look, six states have taken action on this that hasn't been hugely sort of controversial in six states. So just because a bunch of really smart economists don't think it's a great idea doesn't mean it won't pass. And like, you know, today, Steny Hoyer was, you know, said open minded about it. Pelosi in the past is how Speaker Pelosi has been pretty quiet about it. You can envision a situation where Republicans want to bring it to the floor for a vote and want to have a conversation about it because they want to keep attention on gas prices and Joe Biden's broader policies on the oil and gas industry and what he's done for pipelines and what he's done in terms of making it harder, according to Republicans, to extract hydrocarbons from the earth. So in a, in a sort of weird sort of wrestling move, use the other side's force, you could see Republicans, and there's been some chat about this, seizing on this just so they can keep talking about it and talking about either, A, how bad of an idea it is, or draw attention to Biden's broader policies on oil and gas. And remember, I mean, it's basic Democratic orthodoxy, and Joe Biden is part of this. They want to reduce America's dependence on hydrocarbons, on oil and gas. I mean, it's like, this isn't that complicated. Like, they've campaigned on it. Every one of their policy programs, like, this is what they wanted to do. And, you know, now there's a little bit of buyer's remorse is the wrong way to think about it, but they're kind of backtracking a bit. He also mentioned the oil and gas companies, right? So he was calling on them to take lower profit margins, increase oil production and refining capacity for gasoline. I mean, that's really kind of where it seems like where we need to be, increasing that production to increase the supply. That's probably going to bring the prices down. But again, that's another tough sell. It's a tough sell, and he's sort of antagonizing the very industry that he needs to sort of ramp up the production. So on the one hand, he's like not, you know, they feel, especially Michael Worth, the CEO of Chevron, feels like some of the rhetoric from the president needs to cool down. At the same time, the president is sort of criticizing them. And I mean, antagonizing might be too strong, but criticizing them, anybody needs them. You know, the other big option they have is just get the Saudis to pump more oil. But the Saudis don't have that much excess capacity. They, you know, they have about another million barrels a day. The U.S. is hovering just below 12 million. But so, you know, again, I'm not going to pretend to understand oil markets and the international pressures. And like the Biden has a case. A lot of this is like we've taken a lot of Russian oil off the market. That's we've led to supply restrictions, constrictions. Like it's, you know, it's tight market. So the Saudis pump more, like you know, half a million. Maybe maybe they'll start moving the price of oil down a little bit. I mean, I don't know, you know. But so he's. He's visiting, he's going to go to Jeddah, and he'll likely meet with Mohammed bin Salman, uh, who is largely implicated in the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist. So Biden is aware and his team is aware that they'll get flack and they will take shots from the left on this and from human rights groups and in addition to Republicans. But there'll be some friendly fire as well. I mean, all of this really just illustrates how much little the president can do to fix these prices. They're set by global markets, as we kind of we've been talking about. It's tough, really, for the president to pull a trigger and something to happen right away. 
that's true, not just of gas prices, but inflation in general. Like there are limited levers that the president of the United States has. And the levers that the government does have, namely the Federal Reserve, is a pretty blunt one. And that is induce uh, something as close to recession as possible and cool down demand so that inflation cools down. So, you know, all presidents talk about this. You know, you think you're president, they play hail the chief, you get your own plane. But like the gears of government grind slowly and it's hard to sort of effectuate change. That's particularly true when you're on the defensive and they're on the defensive inflation. And the analogy people use on inflation, and this is used inside the, you know, the West Wing and Treasury, is that, you know, a snake has just digested a really big rodent. And you can watch that rodent go through the snake. But there's not a whole lot you can do to speed up the digestive process. Hans Nichols, reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And even volunteering to sort of help with like work projects and initiatives to just sort of put in extra effort, if you will. It's almost like hustle to save your job, you know, just to show that, um, you know, hey, I'm here. I'm putting in the time. I'm doing the work. I'm here if you need me. I want to prove, you know, that I'm invaluable. Joining us now is Ray Smith, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you for having me. Well, we're seeing a lot of uneven economic news right now. Uh, We're starting to hear about a lot of companies disclose that they're going to be laying off employees. They're going on hiring freezes. We're hearing about Tesla, Netflix, Carvana, Robinhood, among many others. And, you know, a lot of people are starting to get a concern for what it can mean for their employment. Uh, You know, a lot of people are just starting fresh new jobs. uh, And a lot of companies have this kind of, you know, last in first uh, to be fired off type of policies. You know, so a lot of people are starting to think like, you know, what can I do to uh, increase my chances of being uh, of staying on? Or what do I need to do if I need to find a better job right now? So, Ray, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing with this and how workers are adjusting. We're seeing sort of this moment of real questioning and anxiety just because for the past, you know, year and a half or so, employees have been told, you know, you have the upper hand now because the job market is so tight. And so you can demand this and you can ask for raises and you can move, you know, quit your job and find a new one relatively fast. And now that's all seeming to be under threat, you know, with all this talk, this dire talk. And so some employees are taking that as a sign to sort of a, you know, stay put and make the best of what, you know, where I'm at. Um, I talked to one gentleman who talked about how he's just, you know, making sure he's like crossing, you know, his T's and dotting his I's by showing up like earlier or on time and even volunteering to sort of help with like work projects and initiatives to just sort of put in extra effort, if you will. It's almost like hustle to save your job, you know, just to show that, um, you know, hey, I'm here, I'm putting in the time, I'm doing the work, I'm here if you need me, I want to prove, you know, that I'm invaluable. Who knows if that that kind of stuff really works? You know, there's debate about that, whether that's something that will ultimately save you. But he believes that. And some job coaches that I've talked to, career coaches I've talked to, say that kind of thing doesn't hurt. You know, we're in an era where a lot of companies are asking employees to come back to the office. And, you know, instead of working remote, some people have the option. Um, some people it's mandatory. But for those who have the option, some of them are considering, you know, maybe, you know, if I want FaceTime and uh, I want to show, you know, that I'm, I'm in sight, in the line of sight, maybe I should start coming in a little bit more. And, and, and some career coaches are rising up. Yeah, and that's, in, and that's important in a lot of cases, right? Uh, you know, you want to make sure you have that FaceTime. They know you're available and, and it's important to you, right? You want to keep working there. And it's all because of this nervousness, right? Now, 
it hasn't like flipped a hundred percent yet, but it's kind of your people are looking at the economic forecast, fears of a recession coming, and people are looking to you know maybe recession proof their jobs, right? They they want to make sure that they're going to last through this. And some of the career coaches you talked to said, you know, now is not really the time to change a job unless you really hate your job. So unless it's absolutely something you can't deal with anymore, you might want to weather it. You know, going back to what you were saying, right, the great resignation and how things have been, you know, it's very much been that attitude of I can do anything I want, and employees are kind of starting to figure out, well, maybe I should play it a little safer now. Yeah, you're absolutely And one of the things that is important to keep in mind is the idea that it's still a strong job market. And that's why it's a little bit confusing, a confusing moment, because it's not like no one's hiring and no one needs to hire. And that that's not what the situation is. And so it's really important for people to keep in mind that the job market may be cooling, but there are still jobs out there. And if you really want to still look, just make sure that you actually bring the subject up. You can be upfront and because the employers are probably expecting you to have these concerns and ask these questions. And now's a good time to say, look, I'd love to join your company, but I'm just concerned that the last one hired is going to be the first one fired. What protections do you have in place? Or what, what is your hiring? What's going on with your budget? Or I mean, you may not want to say what's going on with your budget, but you may want to just sort of try to get a sense of how the business is doing and what, and what plans they have. You can sort of ask them what plans they have if the economy does Again, employers now are expecting these kinds of questions because they're watching the market and they're watching these job candidates. So it's really a good time, you know, if you are looking, if you are in the market for a new job, to just be upfront about your concerns and what you're looking for. And not all of this uh, power to the employee is gone, right? You know, a lot of people really do want to kind of continue that work from home thing. And that's still a big possibility. You know, a lot of companies change. They've made that part of the workplace culture now. So it's not like all is lost. You know, we don't want to paint the the worst picture possible. It's just about, uh, you know, asking those right questions and being prepared for that stuff. Exactly. All is not lost. And I love the way you put that. And it's really important for people to keep that in mind because it seems really scary right now, but things don't switch that fast everywhere. And that's the, that's the other key point. We've seen a number of companies who have announced these layoffs, but not every company every day is announcing layoffs. And so it's just really important to keep perspective in these times. And remember that there is still some leverage that workers do have, maybe not quite the leverage they've had, you know, in the recent past, but, but still some leverage. Ray Smith, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. In the U.S., we just don't have the supply. And homeowners right now are sitting on some pretty low rates, but most of them locked in during the pandemic when a lot of people rushed to refinance. Joining us now is Emily Peck, markets correspondent at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Sure. Great to be here. Let's talk about the real estate market. I mean, we know throughout the pandemic, it was a roller coaster ride. I myself personally was looking for a house during that time, so I experienced a lot of it firsthand. It was pretty much madness the entire time. But now that things were kind of on the other side of things, mortgage rates are going up. It's changing all over again. And what we're seeing is the market is slowing down, but because of lack of supply, which was, has always been a problem throughout this whole time, prices and rents are still going up on some of these homes. So, Emily, what are we seeing out there? The pandemic drove this huge housing boom. People were rushing to buy. There were lines at open houses around the country. It was madness. Prices soared. What's happening now is just as you said, mortgage rates are going back up because the Fed is raising rates to try and kind of cool off the economy. And in a way, it's working. The real estate market is cooling off. You can go to those open houses now if you still are in the market. I don't know. And uh, you probably won't find such long lines anymore, but you also won't find deals yet. That's the key. Um, The price surges are so far locked in. Everyone's kind of waiting to see if prices, you know, come down a little bit. But so far, they're pretty stubborn. Because like you said, in the U.S., we just don't have the supply. And homeowners right now are sitting on some pretty low rates, but most of them locked in during the pandemic when a lot of people rushed to refinance. The other part of this is rents. You know, we kind of lose focus of that a lot of times because we're talking about people buying new homes and and all that. But rents are going up a ton right now. I think uh, they're up 14 percent in May. This is uh, compared to last year. Rents are up in some in Miami, up 40 percent for new rent. So that's not the rent you'll pay. Like if your landlord comes and says it's time to renew, hopefully. But if you're trying to rent something else, you're going to the prices right now are really high and they don't really show signs of going down. In fact, with mortgage rates up so high, that's pricing out a lot of first time home buyers. And what do those people do instead of buying a house for the first time? They rent something. So that pushes up demand for rentals and that pushes up rental prices. In a healthy healthy housing market, there's usually a four to six month supply of homes. Where are we at right now? Data out yesterday from the National Association of Realtors, they're saying we're at about a 2.6 month supply, which is like pretty savagely unhealthy, but it's actually higher than it was in February when it was like extra, extra savagely unhealthy. So supply is really tight. It's in the markets people want to buy in. I was talking to an economist who said, you know, these are nationwide numbers, but if you look at places like in California, there's even less housing supply to go around. 
Yeah, and it's so tough because uh, the simple answer is, well, why don't we build more houses? There's so much demand for it. But with the inflation that's going on right now, building materials are more expensive than ever. You know, unless you have buyers ready and, and able to buy those homes, it's really hard to just kind of start building. And, and that's kind of the one of the quandaries that we're in right there is you just can't start building for a lot of these people for it to be profitable right away. That's a really, really good point. During the pandemic, a lot of home builders got excited and started building for the first time in a long time, you know, since the Great Recession, when building came to a standstill, basically. But supply chain issues made it hard to get those houses finished. Houses are still taking a long time to finish right now. There's a lag between housing starts and completions that's still going on. Meanwhile, builders, once excited, are now nervous. Everyone's nervous, right, with what's going on with inflation and what the Fed's doing. People, they're afraid of recession, just like a lot of other people. So there's less incentive for them to build. So so much for the increase in supply. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's take a, a broader look then now, because what we're looking at is some of these uneven economic numbers, right? There's a risk of a recession coming. And, you know, we're always looking at different markets, different sectors to see, hey, well, how is the overall economy doing? So what are we looking at that uh, at that there, we, you know, with the uh, fear of a recession coming? And, you know, what do the experts say? Are prices going to come down at all anytime soon? You'll see right now a lot of people who follow the business and markets news will see a lot of very smart people coming out and saying things like, there's a 40% chance of recession, a 50% chance of recession. (laughs) (laughs) What that means is no one really knows. But what's happening with the Federal Reserve is they're trying to, like I said, cool off the economy and raise rates. And typically when they do that, they're successful and they do cool off the economy. And cooling off the economy is sort of a synonym sometimes for recession. But so far, the biggest sign on the other side of it would be the job market. Unemployment is historically low. There's plenty of jobs for everyone who wants one. And to your question, is inflation going to come down? I think that's what everyone wants to know. And I certainly do not have a crystal ball there. Emily Peck, Mm -hmm. markets correspondent at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.